0: Mind you that on Wednesdays we are having our studies. Uh, the men's and women's Bible studies are actively wor- working out and going on. So the guys are studying Ecclesiastes, not sure what the girls are studying. So I would invite you to come and join us on Wednesday nights at 6:30 here at the church. Several needs among the congregation. We have several people who are recuperating, recovering from Uh, surgeries and illness and that sort of thing. So I think uh, many of those have gone out in in prayer requests. So I just uh, invite you to keep praying for them. I know Jake uh, Markhart and uh, Bob uh, Nyux. Uh, Bob had heart surgery and Jake had his hip replacement this week on Thursday. So keep them in prayer if you would. There's some others I ask you to be praying. And I'm going to pray for the, the Darla family. They're traveling back from Chicago today. They took uh, Lois, to Chicago International Airport to fly to India to see her family uh, after the recent loss. So we're just going to ask you to pray for them, and we would do that. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the, the truths that we've been singing about. Though Our sins are many in Christ. Uh, they are removed as far as the east is from the west, and we thank you for that. Uh, we ask that you would open our hearts to the truths of your word, that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to us. You know what each of us needs to hear. We pray that I pray that you would take the things that come out of my mouth and that you would help each one of us to hear what we need to hear by your grace and and we pray and ask that you would give uh, the Darla family safety for Lois as she travels by plane to India and for on and in the kids as they travel back by car from Chicago. We ask that you'd continue to bring health and healing and strength to Jake and to Bob and to so many others, Lord, that I, I don't, I'm not going to take time to mention them all, but we pray that you would give them encouragement and strength, physically strengthen them, spiritually encourage them, we pray. And ask now that we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> You never want to be that parent, right? It's like, it's just, you just don't. It's like, uh, you know, there have been a few times over the years where I, I've had to, well, one time I was preaching and one of my kids was acting up and I just stopped. And I just said, stop it. You know, it's just, you know, Kids are kids. They have the way of humbling us, you know, and that's just the way it is. So you just got to deal with it. When I was in high school, I, you know, I went to a public school. So, you know, the the, the traditional thing is, you know, school lunches are crummy. Well, when I was in high school, uh, the, the head cook really liked me. And so when I would go through the line, you know, she would, she would pile on my plate like a heaping portion. You know, we have mac and cheese or something like that, and I would get this heaping. And... That my classmates and everybody in school, they would be envious of her generosity towards me. Can you imagine that? Being envious of getting more for school lunch. Yeah, well, in those days, a lot of it was actually homemade, so it was, it was much better than it is nowadays, but they were envious of that. And I think all of us can relate to the fact of, maybe not everybody here, but most of us can relate to the fact of being envious when somebody else is, is treated with generosity Think about your own family. Anybody in your family, any of your siblings ever receive uh, more or more expensive gifts than you? Anybody in school, when you were going to school, any of your classmates ever receive a little extra from the teacher or a little benefit or a little generosity or the coach? What about at work? Anybody here ever having a fellow employee that just seems to be treated a lot better than the rest of us? Yeah, and so this 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 little nasty green monster of envy is especially nasty when it rears its ugly head in God's family, and that's the kind of the the. the aspect of the text that we're going to be looking at this morning is that there's this nasty green envy in Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16 we see that Jesus issues a warning against being jealous because he is generous with his people and it serves this, I think, warning serves kind of as an inoculation. A lot of people are talking about being, well, have you had the vaccination? Have you not had the vaccination? If you had COVID, so you're immune, all this stuff. Well, here's a vaccination for us. It's an inoculation against envy in the body of Christ when it comes to whether we're, we feel like God has been more generous to somebody else who's been brought into the family than us. But it needs to be understood in its context. And last week, it was encouraging to me to sit, as Alan kind of laid out for us in Matthew chapter 19, the the story. And the first part of that story of the rich man in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26, can be summarized like this. Rich man, poor man. To turn a phrase from missionary Jim Elliott. He was a man who would not give up that which he could not keep in order to gain that which he could not lose. Rich man, poor man. But Matthew went on, and he expounded a little bit further. The opposite of that, the, 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 the contrast of that is Jesus' disciples. Because Peter says, well, then what's in it for us? You know, if the rich can't be saved, then what chance do we have? What's in it for us? And Jesus laid out for them, poor man, rich man. Though they were poor, they would be rich. They would gain the full satisfaction now. They had given up fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and lands and farms for the sake of the kingdom. He says, you'll have much more now. And in the end, eternal life. They gained more satisfaction now and they gained the salvation for eternity. But in order to keep the promise in 1930, which says the first shall be last and the last first, which was intended to be an encouragement to the disciples, those first in the world's eyes would be last in God's eyes, but those last in the world's eyes would be first in God's eyes. It was an encouragement to followers of Jesus. But in order to keep that from becoming a point of arrogance so that they would brag about this, Jesus brought balance. He used the, the parable in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, as an illustration to apply, as, to make an application of this first being last and last being first principle. And the story, the parable that we're going to look at, is a warning against jealousy that presumes upon God's grace. Or that grumbles because God is more gracious to others than he is to us when it comes to entering the kingdom. So Jesus' answer to Peter, Peter says, what's in it for us? That's 1927, that's not exactly what it says, please, that's my paraphrase. What's in it for us? Jesus' answer to that question begins in 1930 or is summarized in 1930. The first should be last, the last should be first. And then he tells this parable that's tied together in 2016 using the exact same words of 1930 in 2016, but in reverse order, so that 2016 becomes a summary of the parable and a warning. So you have in 1930 the reward and in 2016 the warning, okay, you think the first shall be last and the last shall be first oh good we're we're going to get there we're going to be first then you have 2016 which says hey yeah 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 but back up a minute just don't think think a little too much of yourself because the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last and so we come to Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16 we're going to unpack what all that means or try to attempt to Tease it out a little bit more. If you have your Bibles or your phone or your device, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 16. There are Bibles in the seats, underneath the seats, in front of you. If you don't have one, you can find it there. Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Four. the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for this vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you too go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you too, go to the vineyard. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. The last people hired were paid first, and they received a denarius. Verse 10. And when those hired first came, they thought, oh, that that they would receive more, and they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he, that is the landowner, answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is is your eye envious because I am generous? Thus the last shall be first and the first last. God's warning Two believers against jealousy because of his generosity unfolds in three scenes in the text. And the first scene is this, is, is that we recognize God's generosity. The text begins, for the kingdom of heaven is like, it introduces a parable. And we've talked about a parable before. A parable is an earthly story with a spiritual principle, okay? An earthly story with a heavenly truth, okay? And in this one, I, I asked the guys to put in a slide of Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, because we see the same wording. The kingdom of heaven is, is like, okay? Another parable to them, the kingdom of heaven is like. And I could go through all of Matthew 13 and, and many other places where this the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven introduces a parable, okay? And so what we have here is that God's rule on earth from heaven in the hearts of his people who are doing his work, that's the kingdom of heaven, is compared to. And what's it compared to? It's compared to a landowner who represents God. Okay, So the landowner is God in the parable who hired laborers. These are believers. People who are are coming into the kingdom and who are working in the kingdom. They, they, They come in and they serve in his vineyard, which is the kingdom of God. So there's two activities I see in the text that portray uh, people's entrance into and involvement in the kingdom of heaven that alert us to the fact that God really is generous. And the first is this, the the, the procurement, the the, uh, acquisition of the laborers, the hiring of the laborers, okay, in verses 1 through 7. Now the text says that in, in verse 1, the landowner went, early in the morning, to hire laborers. These were undesirables that hung out in the marketplace waiting for a day job. These were not your most upstanding citizens, but they were there willing to work, okay? And they gathered in the marketplace hoping to be hired. And beginning at the first part of the day, which, you know, presumably like like 6 o'clock in the morning, okay, Six o'clock in the morning, he's there, and he's hiring him. And he hired him, and then he, then he went back, and he hired some in the third hour, which would be nine o'clock, and others at the sixth hour, which would be noon, others at the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m., and finally he hired some in the eleventh hour, five o'clock, quitting time six. okay. So the first hired were start of the day. The last hired includes particularly the ones at the 11th hour but really all of those hired from the third hour on okay these are the people that were hired they're hired and put into his vineyard okay they're the ones the workers sent into the vineyard or to serve They're serve and then they're rewarded by being paid now what's the point of all that well at least there's probably lots of points but the point that stuck out to me was that that god is taking the initiative here Sends them, indicates, he sends them into the vineyard. His initiative, his grace, his power in seeking and saving the lost. God is the actor here. If you read down through the text and you circled every time you see he, 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 speaking of the landowner, you'd be surprised that God is really working. So think about it this way, or it's helpful for me to think about it this way, that God the Son invites us into the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's an invitation to come to faith in Christ. God the Son invites us. And then we see that it's, that it's God the Spirit who convicts us. In John 16, verse 8. With sin and judgment and righteousness. And then we see it's God the Father who draws us to the Son in John 6, 44. No one comes to me, Jesus says, unless the the Father draws him. And it's God the Father who opens our eyes and removes the spiritual blindness from us so that our hearts respond in faith to the person and work of Jesus. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For the God who said, let there be light, is the one who's shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So it's God who is wooing and drawing so that we can repent of our sins and believe and enter into the kingdom. So who are these people who were hired first? Well, lots of speculation out there, but I'm giving you my best shot at it. I think they include... The the people who come to faith in Christ at an early age, young, and and they grow up in in serving and sacrificing for the Lord for a long time. They're also the people who have prominence and power and and wealth, perhaps, and who are well-respected in the community, but they're also revered in the church. You know, they're your upstanding people. Think John Piper, you know. I mean, these are these people, you know. Who are the last? (laughs) When I think of last, I think of least. Okay, The last are the least. They're least in the world's eyes. I mean, they they come to faith maybe a little later in life. They really haven't had a long time to to serve God. They really haven't sacrificed much for the sake of the kingdom of God. Maybe they came out of a, a really wretched, horrible lifestyle of sin and decadence. And that's really true when you think about a lot of the people that Jesus brought to Christ. Think about the centurion. Think about this guy by the name of Matthew who was a tax collector. Think about Mary Magdalene. Demon-possessed, probably a prostitute. We don't know, but there were prostitutes among the people that Jesus won to faith in Christ. Think about lepers and people who were outcasts. So these, the least of these people are, are the unskilled, the unpopular, the unnoticed, the undesirables. Think Jeffrey Dahmer. He'll never come to Jesus who was on a life sentence and came to faith in Christ while in prison uh, serving a life sentence for heinous crimes too gross for me even to mention here in public. They may know little of the service and suffering and sacrifice for Christ that the, that the first do. Guess what? They're just as saved as the first. They come to faith in Christ and Christ gloriously saves them. They agreed on the wage, first people did. What was the wage? A denarius. <laughs> That's what they got. They agreed upon the wage of one denarius, which was a generous offer. We don't think typically a Roman soldier would get paid a denarius a day, not your day workers. When our team goes to Haiti, I don't know, you can ask them down there, but I, the last time I know, I think it's like six, five, six dollars a day is the average wage for a Haitian worker. $5, $6 a day. So they got paid the, the thing. And The wage represents the eternal life. That's the reward that they get for, for their service. Those hired throughout the day were promised what is right. What did they get? More than what was right. They got a, they got a whole day's wage. God is generous, and this is the point. God is generous to hire, air quotes, anybody. It's a generous offer of God to bring anybody into the kingdom of God. We looked at this morning in the first service, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which he has foreordained, that we should walk in them. By grace you have saved, it's a gift. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's His mercy and it's His grace. As I read this text, I think, let us never cease, let us never cease to marvel at the mercy of God. And when I think of God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. My sin, not in part, but the whole, Was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is a marvelous, wondrous, glorious act of God's grace that any of us is hired to be his worker in the kingdom of God. And I ask you this morning are you trusting in the Savior? And if you aren't, I challenge you to put your faith in him and come in to this glorious kingdom that he has made possible for you. This is my prayer for you. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe today and you will be saved. So there is this procurement of the workers, then there's this payment of the laborers. You see, the Mosaic Law said you had to pay them at the end of the day. You know, we're not going to have them work and and get done, and then later. Now, most of us would probably like that, right? Get paid every day. Uh, That'd be cool. Instead of waiting two weeks or a month or whatever it is, we get paid every day. They're supposed to, but notice a twist of things. He paid the last workers first. This was uncustomary. Verse nine says this, and when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. Those who had worked an hour received a full day's wage. As I'm assuming, and I think it's accurate to assume all the others did too. Those hired the third, the sixth, and the twelfth, or third, third, sixth, and the ninth hour, they got they got a full day's wage too. Talk about generous. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to work an hour and get paid a full day's wage? That'd be pretty cool. And so they, they, got, they got paid. My father has been a hindrance to my education of my children about learning what the value of money is. Because my father has hired my children to do work on the farm. And they go out and they, you know, do an hour or two of work. And they get paid so much more than anybody would normally get paid for a whole day's work that it's just ridiculous. Generous and they are the beneficiaries of his generosity. When those who work all day saw the landowner's generosity, they thought, Oh, wow, good! Because when we get up there, guess how much more we're gonna get? We're gonna receive more. And it seems logical, right? I mean, doesn't that seem fair? It seems like that'd be the logical thing. They worked an hour, they got paid a whole day's wage. We worked all day, we should get even more. Well, uh, it didn't work that way. But here's the deal the radical action of the landowner in paying all of the workers the same points to the remarkable spiritual truth that God's glorious kingdom is filled with people who have received the generosity of of God and that he's generous in saving anybody he's very generous he generously rewards all who enter the kingdom The same glorious salvation, regardless of how long we've served, when we came to Christ, or all the marvelous things we've done for Jesus, everyone gets saved. That's amazing. No matter how long or how well they've served. So this is, we recognize there's this generosity of God. But the problem is, in the next scene, we see there's a resentment of God's generosity. And the resentment of God's treatment of others manifests itself in two ways. You see in verse 11. And when they received it, that is, the people who started first received their daily wage, which they had agreed on, they grumbled. They grumbled at the landowner. Those hired first were not happy when they were paid as much as those who were hired last to get the same wage. Not happy. Not happy. And they grumbled. Who did they grumble at? The landowner. Who does the landowner represent? God. Not fair, God. It's not fair that these people. They believed his action was unfair. They had lost sight of the fact that they were recipients of the same marvelous grace. They had gotten. A generous gift in their denarius, in their salvation, for which they should have been very grateful. So those of us who have come into the kingdom, regardless of when, how, where, why, and how much we've done for Jesus, ought to be grateful, extremely grateful, that we're even in the kingdom, we even got hired, we even got a job, quote-unquote, that we're made one of his children. Grumbling is not a good thing. I I don't know any place in the Bible where it says that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. You know, grumbling. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 do everything without grumbling or complaining. Uh, so we're not supposed to do that. You can look at First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 9, not a good thing. James chapter 5, verse 9, grumbling's not a good thing. But you know what? I can appreciate how they would respond this way. I, I think most of us could. We have a sense of, of kind of like human justice that it seems logical that they would be a little miffed that God had paid those who'd only worked an hour or three hours or six hours or nine hours rather than 12 hours as much as the rest of them who had worked the whole day. So we get to the reason. We we see the response of groundly. What's the reason or reasons? First of all, they were paid first. But more importantly, they had worked minimally and received the same pay. As those who had, the text says, borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat of the day. (laughs) Those hired last had escaped, really, the toil. It's like, Show up late and get paid the same. And the first said, we worked longer, we worked harder, we worked more efficiently, more effectively, and we get the same. Any of you uh, ever been in a class project where it was a group project? My my assessment is it's an experiment in socialism. Uh, Group projects. At work... Or at school. And everybody's grade or everybody's compensation is contingent upon the work of the group. But we all know that we have slackards in the group. Who say, well, so-and-so is a brainiac. They'll do the work. And besides the fact, they got a 4.0 and they're not going to risk their 4.0 by uh, just letting this slide. So we're just going to ride their coattails and get the good grade. Or we know this person is a type A personality at work and they're trying to become manager. They're trying to become a supervisor. And so we'll just ride their coattails and let them do all the work and we're going to benefit. And you think, now you get a picture. you going to grumble? Ever complain about that? I guess you know where I'm coming. I kind of laid my cards on the table. I I hate group projects. Unless everybody's graded graded upon the effort or compensated upon the effort they give towards the project. Well, that's how they felt. But there's a spiritual lesson here. God's generosity and extending grace doesn't give us any legitimacy for being jealous of other people's reception of generosity. We have no right to feel miffed or cheated or passed over or envious of God's grace, generously extended to those with whom we take offense. There's a little verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry because we're so good or important or popular or efficient or beneficial, to no. As we have received mercy. Since we have this ministry as we receive mercy. We don't lose heart. We can never lose sight brothers and sisters. If we're in the kingdom of God. It is absolutely all of grace. And nothing of us. Arrogance moves us to resent the fact. That those who come to faith a little earlier in Christ. Or serve longer and more faithfully or they're more popular or more revered or more efficient uh, are saved the same, equally, as those who came to faith late in Christ, screwed up royally in life, and and, and seemed to be the people that shouldn't get anything. Do you see how hypocritical that is? Because none of us deserves it. Um, I don't know how you feel about the fact that Alice Cooper... Uh, who's one of the most renowned and uh, kind of uh, seedy uh, rock stars? Is a professing believer in, in Christ. Later in his life, uh, you know, the Lord got a hold of him. You good with that? You down? Oh yeah, that's cool. I mean, he's the guy that used to wear the black makeup, you know, and all around his eyeballs, and he used to real. I mean, dark. It's dark stuff. That's, that's the kind of the least that, that I think Jesus is talking about. And I mean, some of us, not may, maybe we don't feel acutely the jealousy, but I think most of us can relate to the fact that it seems like we should be compensated a little bit more than that person. You know, I mean, it, come on. Seems like it. And so this leads to the third scene in our little story, and that is that we're rebuked for our jealousy. God's rebuke takes three forms. In each of these forms, it's uh, kind of punctuated, accentuated by a rhetorical question or maybe more than one rhetorical question. First of all, uh, we, we see that God never gives us less than he promised. This is verse 13. But he answered and he said to one of them, Friend? <laughs> Friend. Were they being very friendly? Friend. It's a very gentle but firm rebuke. And if you cross-reference the issue, the time when Jesus called people friends, (laughs) they were never friendly. Okay? But he rebukes them gently, politely, but firmly. And here's the idea. Nobody gets any less than I promised. The laborers are out of line in their accusation. The first redeemed, they're redeemed sooner or they appear more stellar, who served the Lord faithfully and sacrificially for years, will certainly reap reap what reward? What will they get? Eternal life. They get eternal life. It doesn't begin at the end. It it begins now, but the glorious time with the Lord in heaven. They get it. They aren't denied what they agreed to do. Which for is the denarius. They they got it. He said to them, did you not agree? Verse Verse 13, did you not agree with me for a denarius? You're getting, what you, you're getting what you asked for. You're getting what you agreed to. God, like the owner, keeps his promise to save all who repent and believe. No foul. No foul here. No misstep. No mistake. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. Whoever. Whether it's Jeffrey Dahmer, John Piper, or Alice Cooper. Whoever believes, receives Christ. It's grace, grace, all grace. Second Corinthians chapter four, 5, verses 4 and 5. Uh, the reason I brought this in is because the, the, God gives us the spirit. The last part of verse 5. He gives us his spirit as a pledge. God fulfills his promising. Following Christ won't be easy, but the reward is eternal glory for everyone who believes. Matthew chapter 16 uh, tells us in verses 16 to 24 uh, or 24 and 26, that it won't be easy. (laughs) Deny your cross and, you know, uh, come after me, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, sounds like fun, sign me up. Yeah, because the the gain is better than the price we pay. He paid it all. Some of you uh, remember history a little bit. There's a guy by the name of General Douglas MacArthur in World War II and he was on the Philippine Islands and he got run off the island. They had to retreat and he, he had to retreat but what did he say? Famous words of General Douglas MacArthur, I will return. He did. Now, not like he did it himself but he fulfilled the promise. He did return. Jesus Fulfills his promise. Hmm. Secondly, this form of rebuke is that God is not unjust to be generous. Notice what he says in verse 14. Take what is yours. I like the way he reiterates that like the owner, God did not shortchange anybody. You still got what you wanted. You still got your denarius. You still have salvation. You still have eternal glory. You've got it. Now take it. And he graciously and generously provides the wage of eternal life to all who believe. And notice what he says in verse 14. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. This just states the owner's prerogative to do what he wants with what he has. He can do with it as a picture of God's ability to do whatever he wants with whatever he wants. Over the years... I've had the privilege and the joy and the fun of going to visit many, many farmers when they're harvesting their crops in the field. And quite often I'd be out there in the evening and uh, they they would shut down and they'd stop and the the wife would bring out a, a meal. And everybody there was generously fed, including me. And I had done no work. Jesus is an equal opportunity Savior. And everybody is generously fed. Regardless of when or how or what circumstances that God uses to bring them to faith in the Son. And then Jesus punctuates it to condemning the jealousy. He says... In verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? I mean, think about this. Are we really going to tell God? Oh, no, 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 God. You, you really shouldn't save that guy. That, that woman, she's too far gone, Lord. She's too far gone. Don't, don't save her because it seems to dilute my salvation. Oh, gee. What blasphemy. The God who sent his son to die on the cross that all who believe may be redeemed. If you're an adult here, you have children. Do you consult your children before you write a check to support the church or short-term missions or some charity? I never have. It's not their money. It's money God has provided me. I give it to whomever I believe God is leading me to give it to. And so do you. I would assume. How much more does our Heavenly Father have the right to give what is His to whomever He chooses to give it? And the final rebuke comes in this way. We are arrogant to be jealous. This is the end of verse 15. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Now, eyes cannot be envious, okay? See, the eye is... Another metaphor for the seed of the heart. I mean, the seed of the soul It's a heart. But you see it, so you respond with your heart. Is your eye envious? The problem was not injustice on the part of the owner, but jealousy on the part of the workers. See, the workers erroneously believed (laughs) that the extra pay they wanted was pay that they deserved. They wanted more, but they didn't deserve anything. I'm gonna make this statement, and you can check me. What is unjust about God's grace in salvation is not that some deemed less deserving are brought into the kingdom. What is unjust is that anybody is brought into the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. What is unjust is that anybody is brought into the kingdom. You want justice? If we want justice, everyone goes to hell. This is why it's it's not a hard argument when people say, "Well, well, how come God doesn't save everybody? Well, not everybody. Nobody deserves to be saved. The marvelous grace of God is that anybody is saved. So if you are saved, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ because God the Son has drawn you, because God the Father, God the Spirit has convicted you, God the Father has, has drawn you to Himself, and because the God the Father has opened your eyes and you've responded and repented, it's a gift. We should be counted and consider ourselves so fortunate for the mercy of of God, found out me. Because I wasn't looking for him. But he chased me down and he grabbed me by the nap of the neck and he drug me into the kingdom of God. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sin. And none of us deserves to be saved any more than anybody else. We deserve God's judgment and His wrath. And if we are here by His grace, we ought to rejoice. And there is no room for petty jealousy. There should only be glory given to God. That's it. Five times Jesus went out to find the undeserving to hire them. Notice the text. Five times. Early in the morning at 9 a.m., at 12 a.m., P.M. at 3 p.m. and at 5 p.m. Picture of his pursuit of the undeserving to bring them into the kingdom. Though I begrudge God's generosity in extending his grace equally to bring salvation to those I deem less deserving. Think about this. There's a guy hanging on the cross with Jesus. Remember me today, he said. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, what did Jesus say to him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Oh, no, you've got to do some things. You've got to go to church for a while. You've got to get in, uh, be baptized, and you got to get catechized and confirmed. and you, you need to jump through a few hoops. You, you actually need to take a Bible study course. Uh, you need to be able to be a Sunday school teacher. No! The guy had nothing. Nothing on his resume except, I believe. He's there. He's there in glory with the apostles. The apostles who were martyred, all 11 of them, at least martyred for their faith, for serving the Lord Jesus. They're in the same kingdom of God. They're in glory with Jesus. I know of a, a brother in Christ who used to be a hitman for the Hindu he would go around taking out Christians. And by taking them out, you know what I mean. He's now a believer in Christ. We're going to share the marriage supper of the Lamb with him. Because God gloriously rescued him. I think about the prison guard that was in the cell the, in the prison with Corey Tenbo. Who came up to Corey years after she had been in prison? And her sister died in that prison. And he was a wicked and cruel and mean man in the prison as a prison guard. And he walked up to Corey and he says, Corey, I just wanted to tell you, I was in the prison guard and God rescued me and and saved me. And she will tell the most difficult thing to forgive him was to raise her hand and say, and he asked for her forgiveness. She. She and this guy are sharing time in glory. This is the God we serve. This is the king. There are murderers and thieves and prostitutes that will be in the kingdom of God because of the marvelous grace of God. And none of us are any better than any of them because of our jealousy, because of our pride, because of our selfishness, because of our critical spirit, and because of our attitudes of jealousy towards other people. We deserve the same condemnation as them. They're there with Wesley and Calvin and Luther rejoicing at the kingdom. God's generous grace seems odd to us, but it's not to him. And notice he closes in verse 16. The last, notice the reversal. 1930, it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In 2016, he says the last shall be first the last to be redeemed, the last to be brought into the kingdom, the least who come into the kingdom shall be treated as the first who are brought into the kingdom. And the first who are brought into the kingdom must remember that they are no better than the last who are brought into the kingdom. So don't be puffed up because you got into the kingdom and you had this long history of serving and sacrifice for Jesus and you're a big shot in the church or seen to be a somebody Let's rejoice that God rescued any of us. All are equally condemned, all are equally saved through, the faith, through faith in Christ. And there's no reason for arrogance on the part of any of us because every one of us got what we didn't deserve, God's grace. And so if you're here this morning, maybe you're listening online, you're here listening this morning, and you have never uh, committed your life to Christ, you don't have to worry about envy of people who are in the kingdom. The issue for you is are you in the kingdom? Have you entered the kingdom of God? I ask you this morning, is the Spirit of God, has the Spirit of God worked in your heart? Is He working in your heart to bring you to a point of conviction of sin? Has He brought you to a point of convincing you that Jesus is the Savior who died on the cross to pay the debt for your sins? And are you ready to confess Jesus as Lord? If so, I pray that you would just cry out to him and say, Lord, I messed up, I've sinned, I've gone away from you, I've turned from you, and right now I want to turn from my sin and trust in you as my Lord and my Master. I want in this kingdom. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, this this parable shows the Lord is after you regardless of your history. It doesn't matter if you're on your deathbed. He's ready to receive you into his kingdom. And if we're here this morning and we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he wants us to be free from jealousy due to his generosity, from arrogant ambition and from competition you know, in, in the kingdom. How can that happen? I don't know. There's lots of things you could say. But to me, the, the best way is a deepening understanding of my own depravity that gives me a greater appreciation for God's mercy. When I see how fully I do not deserve what I have received, then I have no reason to boast that I have received it. And so I pray that you will join me in, in asking God to show us how glorious it is to be His children. I think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. <laughs> Interesting. He says, "...for who considers you superior?" For what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Don't brag about the gifts we get, or we shouldn't, because we did nothing to earn them. But God has given us, and and here, think about it. The firstborn, Paul says in Colossians, the preeminent one of creation, Jesus, the first, became last. And died on the cross, so that those of us who are last, least, could become first in the eyes of God as as his children. And so as we as we take the, the wafer and the juice, which are symbols of his body broken and his blood shed, we're commemorating the fact that the first became last, so that those of us who are last could become first, and we can rejoice. And it prompts us. His mercy prompts gratitude in our hearts so that we're not jealous of others who are gaining entrance into the kingdom of God, but we rejoice in our salvation and in theirs. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you just to take a few moments before you take the wafer and the juice and get your heart right with God if there's sin that needs to be confessed. But just ask God, Lord, show me how fully you have redeemed me. Show me my wickedness from which you have delivered me. And let me take this as a joyous celebration of your mercy. Let's pray. Father, give us your grace to live this life as you have given your grace to redeem us into new life. I pray, dear Father, that you would help me and each of us to gain a deeper appreciation, not appreciation, but understanding of our own depravity so that we can more fully appreciate your mercy and free us from any jealousy. Help us to rejoice fully with any and every person in whom you draw to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name.